Welcome to Corestruction, the podcast of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. The Tulsa District's flood control mission extends up to Council Grove, Kansas, and encompasses the southern half of the Sunflower State. Many of those reservoirs also provide water supply to industry and Kansans throughout the Sunflower State. Today on Corestruction, I'm joined by Nathan Westrup and Richard Roquel, and we're discussing how they go about identifying ways to ensure water supply availability for Kansans and industry in the state of Kansas. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. So to get started, uh, what is the, the Kansas Water Office's mission? The Kansas Water Office uh, serves as, as the water planning agency, policy planning, coordination, um, for water resources in Kansas. Uh, our mission is to ensure that the, the water supply needs of Kansans um, for all purposes are sufficient. And that includes, you know, service water supply, groundwater supply, but, uh, you know, we focus on policy and planning. We're also a, a wholesale water utility and in that and using using a reservoir storage uh, we have contracted uh, for in 14 uh, USA's reservoirs uh, for water supply storage and I think that I'm going to introduce a little bit of history you know in 1958 um, there was, you know, the Water Supply Act, which allowed for incorporation of water supply storage uh, in the USA you know, flood control reservoirs. Uh, and of course, that act also required that that there was a, a local non-federal sponsor for the costs associated with including the water supply storage. And and around that time, in fact, I think the first time I saw it was there's a resolution by the Kansas legislature in 1961 uh, establishing kind of that, that statement of interest that, yes, we want the state of Kansas wants you to include water supply in these, you know, federal in these reservoirs as you build them. Some some predate the 1958, but. Uh, the bulk of the reservoirs were were built after that, and um, and with with that in mind, you know there was there was uh, the genesis of and it used to be we used to be the Kansas Water Resources Board. Uh, we made a change at some point to the Kansas Water Office. It was still the Water Planning Agency, and um, we. The genesis of the water marketing and contracting for storage went had a couple phases, but to start with, um, we did contract for storage in quite a few uh, reservoirs, and and had something called which in a program that still exists today, the water marketing program. So the state, or you know, there, and I should go back. So there, there was a choice. Uh, just back a little bit, sorry. Um, so 
but the opportunity for water supply storage, like before we started this, po- you know, when we were talking offline, mm-hmm. the city of El Dorado, that's a, a El Dorado reservoir. There was an agreement. They stepped up and they contracted for the water supply storage out of El Dorado. And that's just a direct core, you know, contract with that city. And they make all their determination, what, how much they want um, from that reservoir. And they're not, not sharing it with anyone, although they, they may sell it. Um, but that's a direct contract. There was, there was some piecemeal um, uh, water utilities that, that did contract for storage, both in, in the Kansas City District and Tulsa District, but not enough entities, cities, water suppliers were kind of stepping up uh, to, to make that investment because it's quite a commitment. There's a purchase price and ongoing operations and maintenance. So the, and, and the reservoirs, they, they cost different amount. Uh, yeah, and, you know, but, yeah, each reservoir based, is, yeah, is it's based uh, on the cost of the, the structure right, at the time right. of construction. So, you know, an right. older structure is going to have cheaper water typically. Right, right. But maybe higher O&M costs. Right. But anyway, we pay our proportionate share there. So the state yeah. stepped up and said, we're, we're going to create policy and, and pass legislation called the State Water Plan Storage Act. And that's going to be managed by the Kansas Water Office. So at that time, um, you know, we started, and this started in the seventies where we, we established, um, you know, that contractual relationship. And then I think another important part of the story, um, to, you know, to describe how we have our framework set up now is that in 19, in the early eighties, you know, as recognized the Corps of Engineers, I'll just tell it more of a story format. The Corps of Engineers said, okay, yeah, you've contracted for some storage, but we're also releasing water from these reservoirs for downstream water quality purposes to keep the river flowing for aesthetic purposes, for water quality, for uh, um, aquatic life, et cetera. And your water users in your state there's people irrigating or pumping for recreation. They're taking that water that's supposed to stay in the river. So we got together, both the, the Kansas City District, Tulsa District, the state of Kansas, and um, entered into a mem- memorandum of understanding, uh, which both brokered a deal for uh, us creating a framework and in, in um, developing water rights, Kansas, so state law water rights, to allow for the storage of both water supply and water quality in federal reservoirs. And that is the authority of the director of the water office. That's separate, it's a separate authority from the normal water right in Kansas, which is under the Appropriations Act. And I'm going to let Richard uh, talk about water rights in Kansas next. Uh, yeah. Uh, Richard, so, yeah. Yeah. So within Kansas, uh, all water within the state, it's dedicated to the use of the people of the state. Um, however, it's subject to the control and regulation of the state. Um, and so that regulation and control, that will be handled through our state level water rights process. So that would be where all of your non-domestic uses of water 
Um, that can range from recreational, industrial, municipal, whatever your your usage of water would be. And those are handled, those are uh, those are a real property right within the sense of Kansas law. And that's what authorizes those other uses of water. So for the Kansas Water Office, the water that we are contracting to our other, to our cities, our municipalities, irrigation groups, those are all handled through the water rights that us at the Kansas Water Office uh, actually hold. So how do you all go about managing that, that water supply issue? Yeah, so... So the the rest of the story after 1985, um, we you know we developed these water reservation rights, and so uh, both for water supply and water quality, and water quality because it was stored under a a Kansas water quality right that we hold for this the core owned store, portion of the storage. Once it's released, it can be protected from diversion downstream. And the Division of Water Resources, uh, the regulatory agency, can shut down, you know, uses of water downstream because they only have the right to natural flows. And if if we're releasing water from a reservoir, it is a release from storage and an act, you know, you have to have an agreement in place of like a water purchase contract or be uh, a member of, of a district, which we manage. So again, we built a lot of framework on this. I talked about one thing, the water marketing program, and we we sell water into the water marketing program from USA's reservoirs at a price per thousand gallons. In 2022, it's 45.4 cents per thousand gallons. And we what we use that revenue for is to pay our costs to the core, our principal and interest for the original purchase and for the operations and maintenance and, a, and some for administration and enforcement. But the uh, real, you know, next, next level step for um, operating the systems. So in the Tulsa district, we have that, that the water office uh, plays a large role in is the, um, um, the Cottonwood Neosho Basin with Marion, uh, Council Grove, and John Redmond. Um, there was there was legislation passed uh, for the creation of of a district called the Assurance District, mm-hmm. and that is every uh, municipal or industrial water right holder that's in a position to receive releases from a federal reservoir within the um, boundaries that are defined by the water office. Um, if if they vote to form a district, if a majority votes to form a district, the district is formed, and then all water right holders of municipal and industrial um, use uh, are it's a mandatory membership. And so, you know, having everyone in uh, for the you know, the water use is most critical to water, you know, the water supply in the reservoirs um, makes it makes it a little bit easier. So we develop with a regulatory agency, DWR, um, the water office and the assurance district. And we develop something called an, an operations agreement. And so we establish 
target flows along the system um, and rules about how we're going to operate reservoirs in times of drought and um, and then and then that matches up with with our arrangement with with the Corps of Engineers and and how we've established um, the you know the the mode of in fact Tulsa district uh, for the most part relies on the water office to determine what the water quality needs or the flow needs are through the system because you know back in it, it all started in 85 right. that that we came up with that agreement and because we did um you know we were offered you know the second round of us purchasing storage space uh we were we were sold um a, a portion of storage so that second round at a at a basement price you know bargain price it was as as built costs right which which really allowed us to just fully develop this this system so um we have three assurance districts in the state one in the kansas city district uh one in the meridazine or so in the kansas basin and kansas city district the meridazine basin and then in the uh, Cottonwood Neosho Basin. We've tried on occasion in the Vertigris Basin, um, but it, you know we haven't had the uh, the water right holders vote for the formation. So in the Vertigris Basin, we operate under um, memorandum of uh, understanding with the Corps that we operate. Total, I mean, uh, Toronto, Fall River, and and Elk City as a system to maintain targets throughout, and also provide municipal industrial uh, water water demands, and then similar to the operations agreement with an assurance district, we have something, and it's just again a memorandum of agreement with the Division of Water Resources and how we're going to manage and administer water rights. So we have. We have a lot of structure. Uh, the water officer, our role is to look now and in you know 40 years, 50 years, what what are we what do we foresee? We we have this tight-knit relationship with all of our customers, all the water users, those that are relying on the reservoirs, and it's our responsibility to ensure we have sufficient yield in those reservoirs to um, make sure we we uh, meet you know, projected demands. And, and in the, the Tulsa district, more, you know, it's more so that the demands are stable or even decreasing. Sometimes we have to evaluate um, you know, an industry coming in would, would be an increase, but, but there's not a lot of growth. Up in the Kansas City district, we have a lot more demand growth. But what we do face is reservoir sedimentation. So mm -hmm. if you look at it as a, a, a yield, a supply demand chart, supply is decreasing over time. And even if our demand isn't going up, there's a crossover and, and uh, not having a sufficient supply is, is unacceptable. So we, uh, we have to find a way, you know, the, the reservoirs are critical to, to the, the water supply needs of, of those folks living in that Tulsa district in Kansas. Yeah. And, and, and that Southeastern 
mm-hmm. portion of Kansas, and yeah. I guess well the southern half of Kansas overall, but, but right. especially that southeastern because that's where the vast majority of those those lakes, pretty much all of them are. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are you looking at in terms of addressing that? I mean, you've you've done the John Redmond dredging, um, yes, and and recovered some storage from that. Uh, what what other avenues are available or are you considering or, or being what's being looked at yeah so go ahead richard <laughs> oh yeah so this is where you know we're working with the kansas city district to kind of uh so well, some of the corps of engineers staff so john shelley from the kc district that's been looking at different forms of active sediment management and then we've had uh, some folks uh, roland hotchkiss who's is a professor for sediment management. He spoke at some of our government or conferences that we have had and looking at how can we start to implement some other pilot projects or some trial bases or demonstrate if there is some other ways to do some active sediment management and how we can kind of get that to align with maybe some of the changing federal priorities and trying to extend the lifetimes of these reservoirs. Um, as Nate said, even in these regions, where our baseline demands may not be rapidly growing or we may not foresee rapid growth, just the increase or the the sedimentation process is reducing our yields that we'll be able to use out of those reservoirs. Um, And then we are getting on some carry-on water quality impacts, whether that's from the the harmful algae blooms, bringing in some nutrients with those sediments, and then impacts on our water suppliers there. Um, also, those yields for the reservoirs outside of just the municipal and the, you know, our human demands, those are used as an eight reference to keep the flows going through those systems. And several of these systems, we do have some, uh, you know, some threatened species that we need to maintain some flows so that they are not, not negatively impacted. Um, and also allow us to better prepare for some some variation uh, just for the variable Kansas climate that we see. And uh, just if we have more frequent drought events, uh, being able to have and maintain those reservoir storage benefits um, that just that helps us prolong through those events. Is that where you get into the question about hydrosuction? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so hydrosuction would be another one of these. Te- can you can you explain how that works? Yeah, so I'm I'm certainly not an expert like uh, like John Shelley would be on this topic, but from the reports that as they've been shown from him, is it would basically be looking to attach to the existing water supply tubes that currently run through John Redmond Reservoir, uh, a certain length of ductile iron with then a flexible hose on the end of that that would then have some form of an, an intake head. Um, so, and this would basically be using the uh, a suction process through the dam to try to begin to bypass sediment out of the reservoir. Um, the where- so, the, that, so that when, when we release water, it, right. it brings some of that with it? Right, the idea would be is could you develop a process where you could have a controlled discharge of some level of sediment to offset what is coming in with the reservoirs having a very high trapping efficiency, some you know ninety five ninety eight percent of sediment being trapped um how 
is there a way that we could maybe begin to release some sediment? Um, we probably won't always be able to match what the incoming is, but if we could pass some of that and not have uh, negative downstream implications, um, that could be a means to start developing some more tools and techniques to prolong the lifetimes of the reservoirs. Um, with the water injection dredge process, we're hopeful to demonstrate at Tuttle Creek Reservoir, maybe you could combine a couple of these active sediment strategies to prolong the lifetimes of these reservoirs. So is that a, is, does that require a, um, is that a physics thing where it, it, it happens just when the release goes or would it require some type of additional energy in the form of like, you know, you have to suction it out with a, with a generator type? or motor engine well i would say that's that's part of the the initial sort of look that's being done here with the water injection project we actually have had some look looking at that done with the erdc group of the corps of engineers just trying to determine you know maybe what could be fluidized and i believe looking at the possibilities of inducing a density current um, and then also with the hydrosuction technique I, you know that's something that's still being looked at is how how right. can you induce that? And do you need to add extra energy there? Or uh, what, what is that process within a federal reservoir? Right. Yeah, because like the, the reservoirs, when we built them, typically they had about a 50-year lifespan. And they're, they're going to, I mean, that was the original idea. Is like the, the, the engineers who designed them, they thought, well, it'll take 50 years to silt in. That really hasn't happened. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I, I always, and you know. That's always an interesting concept. You know, they, they developed a sediment pool. Mm -hmm. So a planned sediment pool. So 50 mm -hmm. years, a certain amount of storage would be filled in with sediment. Mm -hmm. But I, I believe the only purpose for that was for, um, and, and some of the reservoirs have 100-year sediment pools. Yeah, People, I think, mischaracterize that as lifespan right you know and it's just the planned sedimentation this is what's projected to happen so i i like to move away from you know this is critical infrastructure <laughs> that we wish should make sustainable and i don't like to to mix mix those two but you know originally i i think the purpose of that like the 50 years in a 50 year period yeah. was it was the economic analysis yeah the the benefits you you had to have a positive uh, economic benefit within a a use uh, a life you know a lifespan and so we have at least this and it was just a way to define that economic period i believe yeah but yeah i mean my my uh hope someday is that Everyone at the core will be saying things like this. Yes, we, there is a federal interest in uh, extending the useful life of this infrastructure. And, um, and, you know, I mean, and I think a little bit, that, bit of that has changed. I mean, there, there's been years past that I, I um, you know, people go, well, they're designed to fill with sediment. I, I don't know. <laughs> we we don't have any interest. It's as long as the flood control pool is still still working, it doesn't really matter. Unless it gets in the way of yeah. you know, operating gates or something. But uh yeah, I'm 
my goal is, you know, I hope someday everyone has the same feeling like we're not going to be able to build reservoirs again. Uh, or it's, <laughs> it's very unlikely. It's hard to accomplish something like that. And especially the reservoirs that exist, they're in the right places. And let's uh, take care of this infrastructure. I think the water office, uh, you mentioned the, the traditional dredging project at John Redmond. We only gained about 1,860 acre feet of storage capacity. And that was at a cost of $20 million. I think the biggest, you know, that, that wasn't a difference maker uh, in having a sufficient yield for the nuclear power plant and, and others downstream. Uh, the, the pool rise, uh, we had a two foot pool rise there that we gained about 17,000 acre feet. And that's, that's got us through a period of time but we're right there again with sediment in the reservoir that we're, we're, we're probably going to have to incorporate uh, Marion Reservoir and John Redmond Reservoir and the use of both to ensure that we can meet our obligations to the, the nuclear power plant, Wolf Creek. Um, so, you know, I'd prefer to leave water in the upper up upper end and use just John Redmond, um, but we need to find a way to you know start passing some sediment. I think the best argument for passing sediment through a reservoir is it's going to happen eventually. Mm -hmm. We'll have to realize that it's going to pass its annual sediment. You know, it's it, the trapping efficiency is going to decrease when the when the the multipurpose or the conservation pool is full of sediment. So why not do it in more of a controlled way and do it in a way that might even have some uh, environmental benefits? Because uh, a lot of, you know, aquatic life, uh, you know, native aquatic life relies on turbid, turbid water, some, you know, not, not clear. But uh, anyway... Have anything to add, Richard? Oh yeah, just as you know, we have. I gave you this handout, this map that shows yeah. like this twenty seventy projections, and you know some of those are coming from our our collaboration with the the Kansas City District on a watershed study there, and then some are just coming from our our historical data of uh, the other reservoirs. But uh, one thing to keep a note that has kind of come out of the Kansas River study is as you know, there's definitely a drastic reduction in the conservation pool storage or what would be available for maintaining stream flow and quality and municipal and other needs. But even within that, there was a pretty significant reduction of the flood pool capacity when we look 50 years out with the current operation or with the, the current uh, trajectory of sedimentation. So it is, yeah, how can we maybe develop some tools that we can prolong these benefits of the reservoirs into the future instead of we, we hit, you know, a filling of a sediment pool or we hit some pre-imagined deadline and, you know, we need to keep these benefits uh, not only for our, our systems that we've developed, but how do we keep these going into the future? Um, there's a, a significant amount of Kansas, as you referenced in that, that Southeast portion of the state, uh, but in other areas of the state, large areas 
um, that they don't have significant other sources of water. So if we want to keep water supply and the irrigation and the recreational uses going, um, yeah, we need to figure out how we can maybe come up with some tools to uh, work together and keep prolonging the reservoir benefits into the future. Is water pipelining something you all are considering? Or is that something that you're looking into at all? Like any giving it from one reservoir to another location via pipeline versus well we have uh evaluated that that possibility um one luck was at uh running a pipeline from melvern mm-hmm. reservoir so yeah i drove by that on the way up here yeah yeah that's that's, uh, that's in the kansas city district in yeah. the Mer- meridazine basin but um yeah, it was determined as too high a cost. Um, and Melvern has a very, uh, very small watershed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yield, you know, the amount of yield that you could move from that reservoir down to, to let's say, you know, the, the, the cooling lake of, of uh, Wolf Creek, it, it just wouldn't be worth the cost. Um, and, and, you know, and that that's something else we we work on constantly, and we've created is, you know, refining operations. Um, so there's more you can, more you can gain in in system operations. You know, back you know, many years ago, we we only worked with, you know, spreadsheet models with the reservoirs. What's the yield? What's a a simple yield? If you draw withdraw you know, water supply from the reservoir under conditions of a drought through a period of time. Uh, what's the maximum you can withdraw on a continual basis? But we've uh, been investing in, and in, in, I guess, you know, in the amount of time I've been at the water office, 15 years, and, and it even predates me some, uh, we, we did develop a, a pretty, or we started developing uh, a system models. Uh, I mean, the core has their system models. Really, it's it's geared more toward um, flood operations, mm-hmm. and and so ours is geared more toward low flow operations. It allows for, you know, in reservoir the the account management. So we have there's lots of different f- uh, colors of water in a reservoir, and then in the river, once you let it go, there's Water quality storage, there's assurance storage, there's water marketing storage, there's, you know, there, um, and so inflows uh, to the reservoir, they go in proportionately into the percentage of storage space dedicated to a certain use. And then when it's released, it's subtracted from that account. And so the, the water office also maintains you know, ongoing, um, you know, accounting of the reservoir storage. Um, but I actually wanted to jump right, jump back a little bit to your previous question, because I, I thought of something I think we left out. You were asking how we're, what we're doing, yeah. you know, you mentioned the, the dredging and stuff and, and, you know, the watershed work should be mentioned, you know, stream bank stabilization, uh, best management practices, you know, sediment conservation within the watershed. 
there's been a significant uh, effort toward that and lots of money spent on it. I mean, both for, you know, nutrient and, you know, sediment concerns and, and, and that work needs to continue. But what we've found is that accounts for a very small portion of the sediment in the reservoirs, the projects that you can do within the watershed and, and, the, and the scale of it, it, it could take uh, a, a whole lot of money. <laughs> and, and then you get an extreme event and it washes out all the projects you did. So yeah. we, I, I'd just like to throw in there that I do think, and just stress the idea that I do think it is important that we do deliberate and direct, you know, in reservoir sediment management and come up with those plans. And it would be really nice if, if the Corps and the Water Office and the state were working together to solve that problem. With the stream bank stabilization, no, with just the, the silting, the doing the in res reservoir sediment management, because no matter how much work you do in the watershed, mm -hmm. it's those extreme events that that the the work you do in the watershed it, it can't control Mother Nature's desire to pick up the sediment and deliver right, it to it the reservoir. So, so, what would that look like uh, in? the in reservoir sediment management. Yeah, that would be I mean we did the traditional dredging. Yeah. That's one way. That's the mo that's that the least a, cost effective way. Yeah, that was the first I believe that was the first one of its yes. the first one of its yes. yeah. And I think that's the best I mean the best thing I think that that accomplished was establishing uh that a state if we find the funding and have an you know want to do something like that mm -hmm. we can do it. We, we got over that hurdle. It was kind of a proof of concept that the state could come in and, and take care of the storage space we've contracted for, try to maintain, maintain that, try to extend the useful life of it. Um, but, you know, like Richard was talking about hydrosuction, water injection dredging, maybe there's an, another innovative solution out there. Um, that you know, maybe it's a mixture of uh, traditional, but dispose you know, disposing of it downstream of the reservoir. There's there's examples of that, but I, I think the only way for us to reach a sustainable, uh, sustainable reservoir management is with that passing sediment through the reservoirs. Yeah, and you 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 said you were doing some work with engineering research development center or you're looking at what they're doing down at the one in Vicksburg? Yeah. Yeah. That, okay, yeah. That, that's what Richard was talking about where yeah. he mentioned Tuttle Creek, Tuttle yeah. Creek Reservoir. It's uh, on the big blue up. Uh, you can see it. That's our, it used to be our largest reservoir. Um, if you look at the, the, on the map, it was the largest reservoir okay. and you can look at it. Now it's half full of sediment. And in 2070, yeah, there's hardly any water left. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the, you know, John Redman is kind of in that same about a percentage loss. And so that's an extremely important reservoir for us to maintain 
Um, that's the workhorse of maintaining flows of the Kansas River. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's, that's also a good candidate with low, uh, low sluice gates, uh, gates at the bottom of the reservoir um, to be able to, to pass sediment out, a, a solution out. Um, there's, and that water injection dredging apparatus would be, you know, uh, kind of a barge with pumps and some pipes going down, pushing, pushing sediment along, you know, creating a density current and hoping that with normal releases or releases under the right conditions, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe we need enough for it to be diluted downstream um, uh, to pass that sediment through. Now, the advantage of doing something like that at, at Tuttle Creek is that there are no reservoirs downstream. There's some low head dams, but there's no reservoirs downstream of, of Tuttle Creek. Um, and in the Tulsa district, you know, downstream of Redmond, there's some more reservoirs. Right. But if we are, if we all start looking at all our reservoirs and try to make them and, and developing, um, you know, some, innovative solutions uh you know we'll work them all together all right that that's the hope and dream i guess (laughs) (laughs) that might take federal legislation to to, to do that (laughs) you're gonna have to have an appropriation unless unless it's a a, some kind of a partnership i would imagine um you know where the the state says hey we'd like this and we're willing to have this done Mm -hmm. you know yeah, um, a partnership would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't want to, you know, uh carry the whole load. <laughs> but uh you know, like the the John Redmond dredge, the the amount of capacity we did reclaim there, the 1860 acre feet. That's shared equally between core-owned storage and state-owned storage. Mm-hmm. So, we we invested in some of the core-owned storage too. Yeah. yeah. What uh how how you said you had 14 you uh Usace lakes that you or was it 14 Usace yes. reservoirs in Kansas that, that, that we have water supply Tulsa, contracts between Tulsa yes. and Kansas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there a lake you don't have a water supply contract with? That's... Yeah. Well, we don't have a water supply contract at Fall River. Okay. What but about Big uh, Hill? Uh we do at Big okay. Hill. Uh Fall River we also, and uh, we have, remember I talked about the memorandum of right. agreement we have with the Tulsa District for the Vertigris Basin operations that provided us um, the authority to operate both uh, Fall River and Toronto reservoirs without obtaining a water supply contract. We ended up inheriting and they, this is probably getting too much into the weeds. We inherited a very small water supply contract at Toronto, but essentially Fall River and Toronto were uh, built under a different authorization that uh, allowed for the use of conservation storage for maintaining stream flow, municipal and water supply, downstream municipal and water supply demands without the state's investment in a, a water storage purchase. All the others. Uh, so in that 14, 
Toronto's included because we have a very small contract there that we inherited from the city of Toronto and they couldn't afford the O&M payments anymore. So we took it over for them. Um, but the other 14, there's one US Ace Reservoir, um, uh, Wilson, and that's in the Kansas City District, that there's no water supply contracts. Otherwise, all of them have you know, water supply contract or an agreement in place that, that we operate for. Okay. Uh, would, would modern day Kansas be able to meet its water supply needs without re reservoirs, without the man-made ones? Not during drought. Would you agree? How do you, you, how do you, outside of that, where are you, where do you draw your water? Well, yeah. So the river basins in Kansas, I just, I, preface all this and that each one is a highly variable system and it has a high variation between surface water and groundwater supply capabilities. Um, but just could be generally stated, yeah, in times of drought or prolonged low flow conditions, yeah, we're going to need the reservoirs to not only maintain those flows to keep the, the in-stream purposes met, so that would be your environmental and biological but to offset those demands that have been created for the, the human needs. And especially if we're in periods of, of low flow and we have large users that are wanting to turn on, um, we need to be making reservoir releases to either meet those demands, keep, keep the rivers flowing. Um, you know, even we've heard of, uh, even when demands were less, I believe Nate had a story of where there was uh, talk of people hauling water for prolonged periods during uh, low flow conditions where some of our river systems would just, uh, you know, go to uh, disconnected pools. So if we were to try to throw the demands of today and some of our, uh, our low flow drought events, uh, yeah, it'd be a challenge. Uh, some of our systems, they have really well-defined, real extensive alluvial groundwater supplies. Mm -hmm. um, but some of them, there's, uh, especially Southeast Kansas, there's, there's not a whole lot of other supplies of water that could be used for those cities for low flow or drought periods. Yeah, the, the Verdigris Basin is, is blessed with a lot of precipitation, yeah. but they are also hard hit during drought that dries up pretty quick. Um, yeah, there's not, yeah, not, not that, you know, bolstered up alluvium that can continue to keep, keep flows going there. That story that Richard was talking about, I, I, uh, dug, you know, I found a newspaper from the 1950s. Uh, that's our drought of record 52 through 57 in that. Um, and that's what we planned for plan for ensuring that we can make it through what we define as the 2% chance drought. We can supply, uh, you know, our, our projected demands. Um, so anyway, it was a, as a newspaper article, uh, from the city of independence down there by Elk city reservoir prior to the reservoir. And in the fifties there, there was uh, a period of time that they went six months without flow. And 
And they were, you know, this article was talking about how far they're having to go. There's a, there's a riffle pool, you know, sequencing along the Verdigris River, and they were having to go upstream and downstream and searching for pools, going farther and farther to haul water for the city. So that is, is pretty interesting. So even even back before, you know, modern water laws were were established in the state. Um, People would just, I guess, west of a certain point would dig a well, right? Or they would mm-hmm. drill a well or whatever. And, and that was where a lot of families got their water back in, you know, or they would go to, they would be near the river. Um, I take it. Is that? Yeah. But, but on the east side, they, they, in the east, southeastern part of the state specifically, they would, they tended to, they would use the vertigris or the. Yeah. I. Yeah, I'd say I've um, the Neo show really know? thought about it. Yeah, the Neo show, the cotton. Yeah. Uh, the cottonwood, I mean, it's a pretty sp- a springy river. There's lots of springs along. It's a, it's it's gaining. And back in in the fifties, you know, I think that was the only portion of the cottonwood Neo show, you know, basin that was, you know, producing base flows. Um, the upper Neosho dries up pretty quick, but, but yeah, back in, I mean, just, you know, back in the early days before they were built and maybe, maybe before we had the, um, any sort of framework, it was just people's efforts to create some storage capacity on a small scale. And quite often it was using, you know, the channel, low head dams and, and, uh, where you knew they were going to get refilled. So yeah, utilization of some low head dams to keep the pump sites for the municipalities kind of, uh, keep some water there, or, uh, there was kind of more of a historical utilization of smaller local reservoirs that as the federal reservoirs and the, the contracting has come on, uh, have, there's been movement away from that and then contracting to be supplied by the, the larger reservoirs, uh, that have higher drought resiliency benefits. The on the Cottonwood River, well, there's the courthouse area where you can walk across the bridge. There's a little low water dam there, right? That or there used to be. Maybe it was destroyed. I don't know. But do you know what I'm talking about? They have a, that, that beautiful courthouse at Cottonwood. Strong City, Cottonwood Falls. I think so. Maybe. Strong City. I'm not. I'm not. It's on the cotton. There's a. There's a bridge you can walk across, and you get little, little oh. small, beautiful, idyllic-looking Actually, downtown area. I have seen pictures of that. I know yeah, it's gorgeous. I mean, it's, it's absolutely yeah. beautiful. I didn't know if it, that was typically what they were doing. Because I, I actually yeah. think there's a Corps of Engineers. Um, I think there's a Corps of Engineers uh, M- logo on it or insignia on it. Mm-hmm. But I can't find record of it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, old relics um, of the past you see here and there, you mm-hmm. know, like at Altoona, this is a tiny little town on the upper Vertigris. They have, a, you know, they built a pretty tall low head dam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's a high low. Um, but, you know, they, you know, had 
mills on there. They used it for water supply. They used it for power generation, even if it was just mechanical. Or yeah, there's um, a lot of old old structures um, that are still being used. So when when there's an, I guess, do you have it on a schedule typically for allocations to be released, or do you yeah. just make a phone call it's, to the the area office or the the water office there at the core and say, hey, you know, the H and H section, say, hey, you know, they need this much water. Yeah, it's it's an active management. Okay. We're con- we're continually monitoring, and uh, we make a determination about not only what's needed for uh, consumptive water demand for a municipality, but also what's needed for environmental purposes. And uh, we have very close relationship with uh, the water management folks in Tulsa. And I've, I, I have zero complaints for 15 years. I've worked with uh, this water management, you know, the engineering uh, engineer hydrologist. hydrology hydraulics and hydrology yeah, right um and they've been just just awesome to work with it's a perfect example of teamwork uh they keep us informed we keep them informed we take some responsibility sometimes for making the decisions you know and then they they have they have a very difficult job during the flood flood ah. times uh, that's, I'm sure high stress time. And then that's in drought times, it becomes more of our responsibility to stress out, but, but they're, they're always there to, to help, help manage and, you know, work within the construct and the you know, authorities we have, but, but have manage you been to visit their, them and, and see their operation and how they, yeah, I have, uh, it's been quite a few years. I need to go down for another visit. But, um, yeah, I've, I've, there's some people that I, that I worked with, you know, there's been a little bit of turnover, Yeah. but each time it turns over, uh, I'm, I'm always pleased with the, with their replacements. And so they've, they've had a pretty good, you know, even with a turnover, it's a conveyor belt of good employees <laughs> you know, going through there. So I'm sure they'll be happy. They'll be happy to hear that. <laughs> Dr. Williams will really appreciate hearing that. Um, With we we kind of you kind of mentioned blue green algae or harmful algae blooms and and how does how do those blooms impact you all? I mean, with us it, it impacts recreation and we see it on the recreation side and and um, you know no no one no one likes that when they want to go swim or go go to the lake or whatever. But how does it impact how you guys have to operate? Well, I would say, so we, we hear the, the recreational impacts and from those stakeholders, um, but then in impacting the, the municipal customers, um, and in there, it's uh, how it impacts their treatment process. So some, some of our municipalities, they've changed their treatment process, which can involve a pretty significant capital cost. Um, some, they handle it through, uh, just addition of chemicals and by that method, but both of them are increasing their base treatment and operational costs. Um, and for some of these cities specifically, you know, one we're, we're working through right now, 
it's they're they're fairly small population so significant increases of those treatment costs or capital expenditure um when you're applying that to a city that only has 500 or 1000 people that can that can get pretty significant for them as far as uh you know what it takes to keep their their city services operating in that sense so it can be treated or it can be you know, uh, fixed, but there's a cost to it. But I'd also like, you know, in the Kansas City District, I mean, we're talking more and more about, um, you know, the Milford Reservoir, and it, it's kind of the, the the biggest problem with algae blooms, root green algae, and then and then there's, uh, you know, it. It leads to a lot of monitoring for the toxins downstream. Um, but I'd say, I mean, that's less of a problem uh, on a on a river, although it's still a concern and there's a lot of monitoring that, that's going on. But it's more of a problem for the water suppliers that are have a direct withdrawal from the reservoir. Yeah. So what what is you all's the for for KWO? What is your your strategy or vision that you're you're really hoping to accomplish over the next decade or two? Well, so maybe to flow into some of the quality things. So that would be where some of the basin work would happen. Is how do we get some long term reductions in some some sediment? inflow and then the nutrient load that is also coming in with those sediments so and then that would be causing our our recreational and our harmful algal bloom impacts there um and then you know how can we try to maintain uh those reservoir yields into the future so you know try to do basin work to keep keep that out and then how can we do some work within in the reservoir or or downstream to figure out how we can uh, maybe get some of that sediment out or how to manage some of that sediment long term. Um, just as we're looking to to contract, we uh, we issue these fairly long term contracts with the cities that we supply and support. Um, so how can we uh, keep the functions of the reservoir and the quality of the water within the reservoir uh, just usable for those next 10, 20 years? And I'd say some of that is written throughout our, our Kansas water plan that we develop and then with the interactions of our, uh, our regional groups. Are you, are you adding additional water supply customers annually or does it tend to stay the same? Oh, it, it, it comes in spurts. Um, in the Tulsa district, uh, we haven't for a while, uh, but we are having to adapt in, you know, different management and using different reservoirs for, you know, our, our big customers. In the Kansas City district, um, it's, it's, it's more that more growth than adding. Um, and so, so the water, uh, the, the municipalities need more water for yes, this because you're yes. getting, you're getting that, that, that growth out of Kansas city itself into areas like Olathe, is that how you pronounce it? Olathe? Yes. Yeah. Uh, you, you get that growth in Olathe and, and that's, 
that's actually sort right. of a, a a double-edged sword for you guys because on the on the good side your your state's growing your region is growing so there's more there's more revenue coming in and and but then on the you have to you have to you have to you know on the contrary side get yeah. the, meet all that that demand right 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 and yeah we we have to invest to con- continue to invest to make sure we have enough water supply that's pretty important for you know attracting industry as well and and that that's probably the biggest growth we growth potential we might have in the Tulsa district bring more industry in. We're looking at some additional additional interest um, or industry in the Vertigris Basin and in the Cottonwood Neosho in recent years. Um, and another way we're growing in our dependence on the federal reservoirs that we control is like we talked about like the old infrastructure, the old city lakes. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big challenges is, you know, the water treatment uh, standards and the, the, the amount of expense that goes into operating a small treatment plant and keeping that up to date is with like shrinking towns. So even if like your county is losing population, but you have to start keep supplying what remaining population is there through a more centralized, you know, or a single source. And that happened like down in the Burdigar space and um, Fredonia, or, you know, at Fredonia, a public wholesale water supply district formed there to start supplying all these little, little towns. And so there's more concentration, concentrated demand from the fall river. Uh, so they serve like Buffalo, who used to get their water out of a an old uh, clay pit where they <laughs> they they mined clay and made bricks. Have right. you ever seen a Buffalo brick with it stamped on there? No, I don't <laughs> think I have. Okay, they, they're <laughs> you see them around once in a while. Okay. But yeah, so like Buffalo and Altoona and stuff. They they don't have the personnel. They don't have. They don't have but the ability still have to that. treat the water. We still, still have, have that maintenance facility or that water treatment yeah. facility, which costs a certain amount to run and maintain. And yeah. you have to figure out how to supply a smaller number of people from right. further away or, or right. a larger. So now, yeah, the expense has kind of gone into, you know, distribution systems and centralizing, putting all the, you know, getting enough customers so they can take care of a treatment plant, but they have a little bit more expense and distribution. But so anyway, there's, there's a lot of things like that to, to deal with. Um, but that's the water office's job to make sure we aren't headed off a cliff. We need to have a long-term vision and ensure that we have sufficient water supply. Is that, does that get sort of nerve wracking? Does it keep you up at night at all? I mean, because yeah, <laughs> you you know what the demographic, the changing demographics are. The, the you know every decade there's going to be a census taken, and you're probably going to grow. And yet the amount of rain may or may not increase, and the amount of storage that you have available may or may not increase. In fact, and based on what you're experiencing, is technically decreasing based on siltation. Yeah. So I'm. 
And, and I think I think that's that's an important topic because I know, especially us in the federal government, we we tend to think of things in terms of um, even though things are always changing, we even think of things in, in in a static sense. You know, this was made for this, and this is how it's going to be. And unless the legislation changes it, the mission is going to maintain what the mission is. Right? Um, you got to have that authorization, and then you've got to have the appropriation. So it takes two acts. Um, but things are going to change and the way we've, you know, the way we've traditionally looked at things is going to have to change. And if we're going to use the same systems that we've already got in place, we're going to have to, you know, update and change. Um, how do you all look at that in terms of, you know, meeting demand? Cause you have, you have your customers and you have your mission. And we have multiple missions, <laughs> right. one of which is helping you meet that mission. But what, how do, how do you make that, how do you make that happen? Well, I'll give a go at that one. So like one thing that we're doing right now, this legislative session, and Nate's put in a whole bunch of work on this is finishing off and paying down all that debt that we do have within Kansas that is tied to our water storage contracts. So looking at how can we, Number one, take care of that debt and save on some interest that long term, not having that expense will reduce some costs for Kansans and the water supply side. Let's say another avenue is as we we get more of a future look of where we're going to be um, building the base for more, more funding and trying to get some financial support for trying to do more watershed actions to try to come up with the portion of cost share like we're trying to come up with our 50 percent cost share for the the water injection demo project with you all and i would say you know cover some of our debt reduce some of our long-term costs starting to how do we have this conversation for what is a true funding need um, you know, what What are we going to need to cover the O&M of aging structures into the future and to maintain them uh, from a, a sediment and a water quality aspect? How do you get to that, that yeah. where you can change and where, where you can meet what you've got to do and still accomplish that through with the funding needs that you're going to have? Well, I think I think to make these reservoirs, you know, sustainable i think it's going to take partnering and um, assistance from you know at least 50 50 you know um something or or create ways um to to make you know development of plans um you know a, a, a team effort but where, and I'm not sure exactly what I was, <laughs> it's pretty simple. We want to partner with the core instead mm -hmm. of being more like a customer, mm -hmm. be a partner and both have an interest, both state interests and federal interest in making our infrastructure sustainable. But we are working on our end to, to toward that. I mean, we've done a lot of investment in the watershed, but like I said, that's insufficient. I can't control the problem. And and as as Richard mentioned, you know, we're we're reaching a point where we might have um, part of the revenue generation from our water sales 
um, might be when we get out of debt to the core for our original purchases, um, we'll, we'll maintain that revenue. And, and the hope is to put that revenue back into reservoir protection and restoration. And I think particularly restoration, but, uh, I just don't, I don't think we have the capacity to do it all. Mm. And, um, just want to make that pitch federal interest (laughs) (laughs) oh but you can Um, put a good word um is there was talk a few years back about um the subject of aquifer replenishment and recharging is that a feasible from your perspective is that a feasible thing is it a natural thing is it something that that can be helped with the help of engineering yeah artificial recharge and recovery that is a fantastic idea that is a huge reservoir that doesn't have any evaporation mm-hmm. <laughs> and i think we i think that may play a role in the future uh, especially where there are viable aquifers to do that like along the kansas river i think that's a a direction we need to explore as much as possible and develop you know passive um whatever methods we can um enlist to to keep that aquifer topped off and the the um, ugalala one no that that would be the kansas river alluvium (laughs) that so the ones that you can really do recharge are are sh- uh, more shallow, unconfined aquifers. Okay. Um, the the Ogallala High Plains, you know, that much much of it is is pretty much confined, um, and it takes it it has a recharge rate of something, you know, it's just a a fraction of what an alluvial aquifer, for example, might might experience. Yeah, so within Kansas, the city of Wichita is mm-hmm. doing aquifer storage and recharge coming, and they pull out of the Little Arkansas River, and mm-hmm. then so they're recharging that Equus Beds aquifer, but that would be more of a, a near surface, very shallow uh, uh, aquifer there, um, which would be different, as Nate is saying, uh, maybe more Western and Ogallala aquifer, where just the, the time of the recharge travel might be fairly significant just from the study that we have available from the the Kansas Geological Survey and U.S. Geological Survey looking at those recharge uh, rates there. Rich, are you from are you from Kansas originally? Yep. Yes, okay, sir. and I'm so surprised you said Arkansas and not Arkansas. Like yeah. I, I was actually not going to say the river's name because <laughs> usually go I didn't want to get that. Yeah. Usually go with Ark, but yeah, I guess we are in <laughs> Topeka, <River>. so. <laughs> No, um, Shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> is there something that I should have asked you that I really do appreciate you taking the time, but was to to sit down and talk and 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 tell us about what you all do here? But um, was there something I should have asked you that I I didn't ask you that that you really wanted to address? I always like when. People want to learn about, um, you know, the framework we've worked so hard to put together. I think our, um, our, 
you know, the way we manage with drought and inner and and the framework around built upon the original Appropriation Act, the way you develop water rights. Building upon that, uh, I I just like talking about that and how how much uh, you know, we're we're prepared. We have plans in place. Whenever drought happens, we know what to do. That's not a reactive system. It's it's been very pro proactive, and um, and then it's actively managed and monitored. Uh, there there was one question you had in our preliminary stuff. You you asked about you know who owns the water, and I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, that, that is actually I guess I I didn't get into that. And how does that work? Because you, it is different in this part of the country than it is where I grew up. Yeah, so I was going to have Richard cover that. He he covered water rights a little bit, but yeah. I I just thought maybe that'd be good for you to who owns the water and yeah so. Well, I read the statute there earlier because this can be interpreted a little differently depending on who you ask. But generally, the succinct way I've heard it talked about is the state still retains, like, quote, ownership of the water, but the water is dedicated for the use of the people of the state. So just because someone has a water right, that doesn't mean they own all the water that's below them. Just because they have a water right doesn't mean they own all the water that's coming down the river in front of them. But what they own is that right to access that water. Um, but within the the generalized schema, the state is uh, still the quote, quote, owner, but it's dedicated for that usage of the people. But that that can be kind of a, a sticky one to, to work through there. But. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no riparian rights. It's mm -hmm. belongs to the, I always, I've always thought of it as the, belongs to the people of the state of Kansas and they can apply and get approved for a beneficial use of that water if they can justify it. And there's two ways to get use of water and get a right to it. And one is the Water Appropriations Act. That's first in time, first in right. And the second is what I mentioned before, the State Water Plan Storage Act established water reservation rights. So there's two kinds of water rights. Water reservation rights are only for storage of water in federal reservoirs controlled by the state. So about, about how much um, do you guys know combined, how many acre feet of... of storage that that you guys basically hmm. manage on behalf of the people of the state of Kansas? Uh, that's a number I should have on the top of my head. It'd be a fun, fun fact there. <laughs> I'd say we're getting close to a million acre feet. But we have small reservoirs compared yeah, to the yeah. ones in Oklahoma and on the Missouri River main stem. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. We, and uh, I mean, some of our flood pools are big, but yeah, we we don't we don't have. In fact, yeah, I, I'd say in the Tulsa district, we're really storage short. Uh, there's a lot more water going through the system than we're able to control. There's times that I've managed through droughts in in the 
Cottonwood Neosho and Vertigris that we have months of storage. We don't have years of storage. Uh, we went from a full pool at John Redmond in 2012, in June of 2012, to only 30% remaining the beginning of 2013. So, months. <laughs> to, to, to your sleepless night question, that yeah, would be that, where... That's if, what keeps you up. If, right. If we're in a drought, Droughts. yes, some of these reservoirs, their drainage basins are fairly small in the grand you know comparatively to some of the other reservoirs outside of the state um so yeah some of our cities that are dependent on these it's uh yeah what's the probability of catching a rainfall event within a, a sometimes less than a county size drainage basin um so i would say that that would be one of those things that might keep you up at night especially if you're looking at a a very prolonged drought and as we look into the future with uh, reduced conservation pools it's just uh, we'd have less time to support those needs through a drought so mike i have a question for you sure yeah what's been your favorite thing we've talked about or the most interesting i, I think the the hydro suction idea and the you know the the no, the notion of of how to get that siltation removed Mm -hmm. is uh that's that's extremely interesting that's definitely an interesting concept and you know i mean the perception of of how some of these these structures were created and most people don't know about the water supply connection and how that goes back to reimbursing the federal government for the cost of the structure the original initial cost of the structure i really do appreciate you guys time i don't want to hold you up because i know we're getting close to the end of the day um, but is there anything else that you would like to, to mention that we really need to look at? Yeah, I, I would maybe just go on Nate made reference, just, uh, thankful for our, our, uh, partnership and collaboration, especially with the, the water management side, just on carrying out, uh, you know, the, the missions of the reservoirs here, uh, as Nate referenced, it's been good experience and good communication. And I'm just thankful and hopeful we can keep that into the future and look for other ways to collaborate on these reservoir projects. Outstanding. Construction. Construction is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. For more information about the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, visit us on the web at www.swt.usace.army.mil. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. And good communication. Uh, I'm just thankful and hopeful we can keep that into the future and look for other ways to collaborate on these reservoir projects. Outstanding. Construction. Construction is a production of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. For more information about the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, visit us on the web at www.swt.usace.army.mil. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.